right. So, I have the privilege of being able to share God's word with you guys today. And, uh, you know, I, I don't get the opportunity to preach too often or as often. And uh, so when I do, I like to tell a story, you know, sometimes uh, a little get to know me a little bit better. And uh, I realized a lot of it was from, like, a lot of stories I share is from my childhood, but I don't know why. But anyhow, one of my greatest achievements uh, in life, this might be kind of sad if you think about it this way, but uh, it was in seventh grade, right? And seventh grade, when I first entered into middle school, and to set the story up, what happened was, you know, I think I was a pretty good student. You know, I used to get straight A's, and, you know, all the subjects were, you know, they were doable. I, I didn't have a hard time with them, except for this one subject, right? No matter how hard I tried, the best I could do was a B, right? No matter how hard I tried, the best I could do in this subject was a B. And maybe you guys have encountered this struggle uh, like me, but this, this subject was PE. <laughs> and you might be thinking like, wow, how skinny was Pastor Paul back then? But anyhow, I couldn't get better than a B. Now, before you judge me, the reason why is because of this. Our coach or our PE teacher was old school, right? And so if you wanted an A, you had to earn it. And the way you earned it was that you would go through a series of tests and you would have to pass all the tests. So there were four things. You had to do push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, and mile time. And if you did well enough in the mile, so if you, I think it was like seven and a half uh, minutes. If you ran the mile in seven and a half minutes and under, you got an A. If you did something under that, you would get a B and C and D, and F correspondingly, right? And then there was push-ups. If you did, you know, 50 push-ups, you'd get an A, 40, B, it was like that, and sit-ups and pull-ups. Now, I, I, I was, I did okay. I, you know, I got A's in uh, push-ups, sit-ups, and uh, the mile time, but I could not do a single pull-up. My skinny arms could not lift my skinny body. And because of that, I would get an F. And if you averaged the three A's and the F, I would get a B, right? And so this was a really big struggle for me. And yeah, right, so it's a lot harder than you think, right, to get that A. But what ended up happening was, you know, you'd get that report card at, at home, and I'd have to explain the situation while I was getting a B and PE. And I told my parents, and they said, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to get you a pull-up bar. So they got me a pull-up bar. It's like one of those perfect pull-up bar things that you put along a doorway. And we put it in between the living room and the kitchen. And I was determined. Like, I had this single track mind that I was going to do a pull-up by the end of the semester, right? And so every time I walked to get something to eat, I would hang on it. You know, as I was walking back to the living room to watch TV, I would jump and like just hang as hard as I can, you know, to keep my chin up, to get my strength. And I would do this over and over and over again, even when I was discouraged, when I'm like, I'm never gonna do a pull-up, even when, it was, when I was tired or when I had to study, whatever it was, I would always make the effort to try and do a pull-up. I was, I was focused, right? I was dedicated to this task. Now, the quarter, the, the semester ends, and I have to go and take that test, and when I try to do that pull-up, you know, I, I, I pass, right? I end up doing 11 pull-ups, right? Pretty amazing, right? Right. I don't know how many I can do right now, but I did 11 pull-ups, and 
I was so proud of that moment. It was one of, the reason why I say it was one of the greatest achievements in my life is not because, you know, it was like so amazing or anything like that. It's not like I changed the world. You know, it's not like I became the strongest man in the world. Nothing like that. But it was one of the greatest treatments because it was one of the first times I could ever remember uh, that I had dedicated myself to something where I was willing to sacrifice and where what I said and what I felt and what I uh, thought all aligned with my actions. And so I had this single track, uh, mind, heart, soul, and strength, and I was dedicated it, and I succeeded, and I accomplished it, right? That's a pretty good accomplishment. Now, for you guys, maybe you guys can relate in a similar way. I don't know if you guys uh, work out. Maybe you guys have like, oh, I just want to get to a certain weight, or I want to have abs, or I want to run this marathon, or this 5K, or whatever goal you might have. You have to sacrifice. You have to dedicate yourself, train, watch what you eat, whatever it might be, and you have to try and accomplish that goal. Uh, or maybe you have a degree that you want to finish, or maybe you have a project at work that you're trying to accomplish, and sometimes it requires those sleepless nights, right, where you're just, you just have to stay up all night to focus on the project, to finish this uh, final, whatever it might be. And you sacrifice spending time with friends, you sacrifice all these different things, but at the end of it, when you accomplish it, it's even sweeter, it's more satisfying because of the amount of sacrifice that it required, right? Because of how difficult it was. Uh, if you're saving some money to purchase something, you know, you, you're, you're sacrificing going out with your friends, or you're sacrificing the, the delicious things that you could eat so that you can buy and purchase something. There's something very gratifying about the single-minded focus, where your heart, your desire for something, your thought, and your words, and your actions are all aligned in one. Well, the reason why I share this is because in the book of James, or the letter of James, this is what James is after. He desires for a people to not be fractured, to not be a people who compromise, but to be one in their heart, mind, soul, and strength, in their pursuit of obedience to Jesus, to follow after Jesus with that same dedication where the things that you say are in line with the things that are of your heart, and the things that are of your heart are influencing the things that you're thinking about, and ultimately all of those things play out in the way you live. That there is no division or compromise in all that, but there is a single-minded focus. Now, James is the type of person in his letter that's very application-oriented. You know, Paul is very sometimes theoretical and theological and uh, up in the sky sometimes with ideas. But James is always about, okay, how do we put this into practice? How can we apply this? How can we put pen to paper? What's the nitty-gritty? You know, let's get to the nitty-gritty, right? So that's what James is all about. So what I wanted to share from the book of James, or the letter of James is, Two applications from chapter 1, verse 19 to 27, about how we can be a people who have this single-minded focus, where our heart, our mind, our speech, uh, everything is in line with how we live. And that's aligned with honoring God and obeying Christ, right? He's very practical, right? So the first application he calls this, or I'm sorry, before we get into the application, he calls this person, the person that is focused and com complete and all in one, 
a perfect person. You know, we might often think of a perfect person as someone who is a goody two-shoes or never sins or whatever, but that's not necessarily the case. The perfect person, according to James, is someone who has that one heart, one mind, one soul, one strength, and it's all focused on obeying the Word of God. All right? So the first application to becoming this perfect and complete person is very simple, is to receive the Word. Is to receive the Word. You know, and it makes sense, right? It's very simple. If you want to be a person who is single-minded in obeying Jesus, and if you want your heart, your mind, soul, and strength all to align, then you have to know what the Word of God says, right? So you have to receive it, right? James chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. So you have to receive the Word of God. Now, there's two applications that he says in terms of how we receive this Word. All right? The first one is this. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We have to get our hearts right. You know, there are things that are opposed to God that we might be involved with, this filth. But if we want to pursue Jesus and pursue His Word, these go in contrary to each other. They go contrary to one another. They oppose each other. So we have to rid ourselves of the filthiness, the rampant wickedness. Now, in this passage, when he talks about filthiness, he has the idea of someone, uh, like the dirty rags of someone that was homeless, right? Someone that it would smell or it would always be dirty. And even if that person were to shower and wash, if they put the clothes back on, they would still be dirty, right? They would still have that stench on them, right? So what he's exhorting the people to do is to put off, to take off this filth, this moral filth that is in your life. Now, what does that look like? Again, we're trying to get as practical as possible. You know, are there a group of friends in your life? Maybe whenever you gather, all you guys do is gossip, or you're just bagging on people, making fun of people, and complaining about people. Or are there a group of friends that whenever you hang out, they're always dragging you to stumble, right? And then to fall in certain ways. Maybe it's a group of friends. Or maybe there's something on TV or online that you're watching that there's a certain filth that uh, stumbles you, that causes you to think unholy thoughts. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was social media, right? Uh, and the danger about social media is that, you know, for example, like Instagram or Facebook, you're scrolling to the next post, right? The danger of social media, what I realize is that they can show you whatever content uh, they want without asking for your permission. You know what I'm saying? They, the next post could be a post that causes you to stumble, but you literally had no... Uh, control over what post it was going to be. I mean, you could stop looking at Instagram altogether, but as you're scrolling, the next one will be, it could be something where, oh, you see a post of someone that always annoys you. You don't even know why you're following this person, but whenever you see this person, you're like thinking ill thoughts, uh, evil thoughts. You're like, oh, I hope whatever they're doing doesn't succeed. Or you're saying, oh, I hope, you know, this person car, the new car that he buys, you know, he gets into an accident. But that he doesn't die or anything, but just that he gets into an accident, right? And you think these ill thoughts towards someone. 
and it's this filth, right? Or, uh, you know, someone goes on this really nice vacation and you're coveting and you're jealous and you're... So the social media is causing you, without your permission, to stumble in a way, and it's this filth that is being poured on you. So what are some of the things that in your life, practically, if you, as you think about it, that cause you to stumble, that causes you to have this moral filth that takes you away from being able to pursue Jesus with that right heart, with that right mind, with that right soul, and that right strength, right? Those are the things that we need to think about in terms of the moral filth. So we need to put those things away. And then he says, you're to receive the word, receive the word humbly. There's a character to it. You have to humbly receive the word of Christ. Now, what does it mean to accept the word of God humbly? Uh, I was thinking about this. You know, when you go to Ikea, you, you walk around, you see all the different, uh, you know, different uh, model beds and, and, and couches and furniture, and, and it's all staged really well. And imagine if you saw a bed, and you're like, oh, I really like this bed, and I want to take this home. And so, yeah, you go downstairs, you go to the warehouse, you match the numbers up, you pick up that, that box with all the pieces in it, and you take it home. Now, for someone to be prideful, to pridefully uh, receive the word, would, would be someone who opened up the instruction packet and said, you know what, I don't need this. You know, I know that they say to put the screws here, but I'm not going to do it here. I don't think they need it. You know, I'm going to just put some extra screws here and drill a hole here. Instead of putting the pegs on the bottom, I'm going to put the pegs on the top. And you build however you want because you don't trust the instruction manual. Because you say, eh, instruction manual, they don't know what they're talking about. Those extra pieces are just if you, you know, if you break something and you just have an extra one, right? And in your mind, you're pridefully thinking that the instruction manual doesn't have your best interest in mind. And all of a sudden, when you don't have the bed that you saw on the model floor, you're disappointed. And you're bitter and you're frustrated saying, how come I don't have the bed that I wanted? Well, it's because you didn't follow the instructions. You weren't humble enough to receive the instructions that he gave us. To humbly, to humbly accept the instructions is to say, I trust that this IKEA instruction manual is going to teach me exactly, step by step, how I need to build this bed. And not only that, as I'm building it, I'm going to trust that even though I put the first piece together and it still doesn't look like a bed. I'm going to trust that if I follow these instructions all the way to the end, I will have the bed. You guys see that? There's faith involved. What James desires for us as we humbly receive the word is that as we come to the word, that we would hear it, that we would receive it, that we would understand that this is God's instruction for our lives, that if we carefully obey this, that he has our best interests in mind. It doesn't mean you're going to make a million dollars or be successful, but that he has his plan for you that will be uh, worked out as we obey his word. And throughout life, you know, as you're obeying his word, you'll face trials, you'll face hardships, and you'll say, God, I'm following you. Why am I going through all this? And yet, like the guy who's building the Ikea bed. You might not see the whole picture at first, but you trust in the instruction. 
to say, it doesn't look like it right now, but I know that at the end of the day, it's going to be the bed that I expected. It's, I, I, that my spiritual life and all that in the end will be completed as God desires. And it requires faith to know that and to work through that and to humbly receive the word of God. So that's the first application, okay? To be a complete, perfect person, someone who is aligned in their heart, mind, soul, and strength to pursue God and to obey him, the first is you have to put off the filth, the moral filth that's in your life, and then you have to humbly receive the word, okay? The second application is very simple as well. Not only do you hear the word, but you also do the word, right? Very simple. If you want to be someone that is one singular in focus where everything that you say matches what you uh, are about and your passions and ultimately how you act, what you hear and what you read is what you do. In James chapter 1, verse 21, 22, it says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is the final step to becoming a complete person. It's, it's, it's important that we listen to sermons, that we read God's word, that we listen to podcasts, that we uh, join in community groups to share the word of God and encourage one another. But that has to lead to action. That has to lead to obedience to Christ. Uh, he says, if you don't, if it doesn't, if it's just hallelujah, amen, and oh, this is really great, if that's all it leads to, then he says you're deceiving yourself. You're delusional. In other words, you're a fool. He says it's like someone who looks at a mirror and then forgets who he is, right, in verse 23, 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. He likens to a man, for example, like if I were to look into a mirror and say, okay, I know who I am. I'm Paul. You know, I'm married to a wife. I, her name is Janet. I am a pastor. You know, I live in Fullerton. Uh, I have certain hobbies and certain desires, and this is who I am. And I look in the mirror, and I understand that. And he says, he, it's, like, it's like the person who looks intently in the mirror. Right? He knows who he is when he looks in the mirror. And then he walks away, and imagine if I were to walk away after I saying all that and saying, I am Justin Bieber, right? And I start like, you know, doing some dances and I start singing and acting like I'm Justin Bieber. You would say, you're a fool. You're delusional. How is it that you know who you are when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, but when you walk away, you act and speak in a totally different way? And that's what he's saying. That... For us, as we look into the mirror, right, as we look into the mirror of the Word of God, we're learning about who we are. We're learning about our identity in Christ as children of God, as His servants, as people who have received His grace. We're called to love one another. We're called to uh, serve one another, serve the church. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, yeah, that's who I am. That's my identity. And you put it down, and you go into the world, and you live life however you want. He says, that is delusional. That makes no sense for you to live completely different if you really believe this is who you are. So he calls us to be a people 
with one heart, one mind, one soul, one strength, to be single-minded, to be single-focused in our hearts, desires, passions, to pursue God, to obey God, and to act on it, to live it out. Now, again, he goes even more practical here. He says, let me give you three ways that you can even do that, right? In James chapter 1, verse 26-27, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So he gives three practical applications. He says, uh, control your speech, the way you talk. He says, uh, to love and serve and help those who are in need. And then the last one, he says, to keep yourself unstained from the world, to not fall into sin, to be holy. And, you know, this is so important because this is what James is addressing for the people that he's writing to, and even for us. They were a people who were compromising in their hearts. They were fractured in their lives. You know, we talked about, we want to be a whole person who is complete, and that we're one in everything that we do. These people were compromising. They were contradicting even in their very own hearts where they'd say, uh, I love Jesus Christ, I profess and I worship him. And then with their mouth, they would do one thing. And then when they turn around, they would say and gossip and uh, curse others. Or they would say, God, I thank you for the blessing of all this money. It's something that you've given me, I have not earned. And yet at the same time, when there's someone that's hurting and in need of finances, we say, ah, you're fine. We don't, we don't need to give you anything. They withhold the money thinking that it's theirs. And, you know, for, even for us, if we're honest with ourselves, there are moments when we have great success stories, right? When you're on the mission field and everything is working, where your heart, your mind, soul, your goals, everything is in, in a line and you're working towards it and it feels so good, it's so satisfying. Uh, maybe it's on a, a Sunday, or maybe you're at home and you're doing your quiet times, and everything is just it's so satisfying because your heart, your mind, soul, and strength is all focused on obeying Christ. But if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we probably have uh, more spiritual failures than we like to admit, right? Uh, where maybe our minds know the right thing to do, and yet our lives, our, our actions don't do that. Or maybe even at church where we're serving and our actions are doing the right thing, but our hearts are, are complaining and saying, hey, why isn't this person doing anything? Or, or prideful saying, why look at all the things that I'm doing here. God desires a heart, a mind, our speech, and actions that are one, that are whole, that are solely after Jesus Christ. And yet, even for us in our lives, we have to admit that there are big inconsistencies in our character. We're fractured in a lot of different ways. And oftentimes when we think about that, it's discouraging, right? Sometimes it's frustrating. And sometimes that leads to apathy, where you're just like, you know what? It's too difficult. You know, it's sometimes you just say, you know what? It's so stressful to think about all the things that God's calling me to do, and now I have to do them, and I don't do them and I'm guilting myself, and I don't like that, and you just say, you know what, forget it. I, I don't even want to deal with this then. And you forget about it. In the midst of all of that, typically in a sermon like this, and typically in a, a Pauline letter, a letter that Paul writes, 
he would say, guys, in your failures, it's okay because Christ died for you. Even though you can't be perfect, Christ himself was perfect and he walked this life, he lived the perfect life, and now his perfect life has been given to you through his death and resurrection so that now you don't have to live the perfect life. Now you can receive in faith his perfect works, his perfect life, and now you can be saved. And that is an amazing truth, right? He would, we would quote something like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ has given us his righteousness, his perfect word, so that we could be saved. And that's so encouraging, right? You know, the Apostle Paul, he kind of reminds me of uh, my mom when, when I was trying to do the pull-ups. Because when I started doing the pull-ups, obviously I couldn't do anything, and she would see me just hanging on the pull-up bar, very sad. And at the same time, I knew that she still loved me, right? I knew that her, her love for me, her care for me, would not wane if I couldn't do a pull-up. I knew that if I didn't do a pull-up, it's not like she wasn't going to stop feeding me, right? It's like, no food until you do it. It's not, nothing like that, right? I knew that she would love me, that she would care for me, regardless of however many pull-ups that I would do. That's the Apostle Paul. He's encouraging us, sharing with us who Christ is and what he's done for us, that it's not about our merit, that he still loves us no matter what we do. Now, James was probably more like my dad, though. Because my dad, once he found out that I couldn't do a pull-up, he said, okay, well, we got to fix this. we got to go to Big Five. got to get one of those pull-up bars, and you got to do it. And he was pushing me. He was reminding me. He was asking me. He was encouraging me to do the, push, to do the pull-ups. And at the time, that's what I needed, that encouragement and exhortation, the challenge to do it. This is who James is in this passage. You know, when we talk about being perfect and having that right heart and one mind, it's difficult because we find ourselves compromising many times. We find our hearts being fractured many times. And Paul would say, it's okay because what Christ has done for us. But James would say, hey, that's true, but I want you to persevere. He doesn't let us off the hook to stop pursuing good works. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one who perseveres, right, in doing good works. Meaning it's not going to be easy, but he will persevere. This is similar to the language that Pastor Sam was talking about in chapter, or two weeks ago in chapter one, where he talked about trials. And so he says, in those trials, you know, remain steadfast, right? You learn how to become steadfast in trials. In the same way, James is painting a picture that the Christian life is not going to be easy. He says, you're going to face trials. You're going to be challenged to do good works, but it's not always going to be easy. And yet, you're called to be steadfast, and you're called to persevere. I think sometimes uh, we might have been deceived into thinking that the Christian life, once you accept Christ, everything's going to be easy, right? That everything's a bed of roses, and you're going to be so much in love with God that Everything you do is going to be so easy, right? Even sacrificing and, and praising, everything is going to be uh, so uh, simple to do. And there are moments like that, but 
until we enter into heaven, it will be a grind. That's what James is saying. You actually have to persevere. That even in those hard times when you don't want to, that you do it. Even when uh, in the mundane things, the day-to-day things, right? Because it's easy to do the grand things, right? It's easy to uh, you know, do one big thing. And after that to say, okay, that was my thing and from now on I'm just going to live the life the way I want. But to say every single day, moment by moment, I'm going to obey the word of Christ. That's the difficult thing. And it says to pursue it. Because James knows that this is best for us. Just like how I was sharing when we're building that Ikea bed. In this moment, it's not fully finished, but we know that in the end, we're going to have the bed that we desire, right? At the end of our lives, when Christ returns, God promises that our bodies, our lives will be glorified, that we'll have new bodies. And in that moment, our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, everything will be aligned. That there will be no more compromise, that our hearts will be whole, that there will be no uh, divergence or fractured lives. It's not like we'll do this and want to do this. Everything that we do, we'll want to do, and we'll think about doing, and we'll speak about doing, and that will be honoring Christ and pursuing Him when Christ returns. Now, as believers, if that's our hope, right, and that's what we're waiting for, that should be what our lives are about today, right? It doesn't make sense if you say, oh man, I can't wait till I'm perfected, where I'm not sinning anymore, where I'm obeying God, and all my desires are gone, and then to hope for that, and then yet in this life here, just say, yeah, I'm just going to live the life however I want. That makes no sense. That's the delusional person, right? If this is what you're hoping for, that life starts today, to pursue after Christ that wholeness. And yes, it will be difficult, and yes, we will fail over and over again, but James doesn't let us off the hook like Paul does. He says, we must persevere. And so I hope that that would be a challenge for us here today in the church, that we will never grow tired of doing good works, that we will never grow weary of obeying his word, no matter how mundane or how difficult it might sound. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word, Lord, because it is true, it is divine, inspired, and it's your word for us today, God. And Lord, I pray for all of us here today, as your word is speaking to us, I pray that it would convict us, to challenge us, to be a people who hear your word and do your word. It's so simple, Lord, but we know that in our past, in our lives, that we fail over and over. But we can be assured that we have received your love and your salvation through the work of Christ. And we're also challenged and exhorted to live the life of obedience, to persevere in difficulties, Lord. And I pray that that would inspire us, that that would encourage us and strengthen us uh, during moments of weakness, Lord. We thank you for this time, and we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.